0: To come to a community like this is extremely refreshing, um, and that's a good thing. So um, I've been asking Jer, hey, would you ever, like, let me come play there, lead worship there? So he finally said yes. He was a little reluctant, but he did say yes. Um, so just a little, um, I just want to take a couple minutes. When am I supposed to be done? I'm supposed to be done at, like, 05. Okay. I'm not going to be done at 05. Sorry. Um, So um, just a little bit about me, Um, I think it's important that um, God's been doing some amazing things over the past uh, three or four, I mean, longer than that, but some intense things over the past three or four years. So um, I was raised um, with a dad who was extremely um, angry, um, had a really, really um, uh, huge temper, and um, so growing up in that um, was very complicated. And especially being in the church, that was a little confusing. Um, and so, um, through a series of happenings, um, not only did he have issues with anger, um, he couldn't really keep a job for a series of years. And so, my mom went and got a job, left home. We were four kids. My mom went and got a job. One job turned into two. And pretty soon at the age of nine, I'm like learning how to do laundry and cooking meals and taking care of two younger kids and doing all the stuff that a nine-year-old's not really supposed to do. Um, they, can chore, they can have chores. They can help, but it's a little different. Um, so that in turn, that series of events um, created an extremely over-responsible adult. And if you don't know what over-responsible means, it's better known as a control freak. Anybody knows what that is? <laughs> That's what it is. Um, total control freak. And I decided that I was going to create this space of sheer uh, whatever it is that I had to do to make my life comfortable so that I didn't have to endure anything like that ever again. So I went through, I got my degree and I got a master's and did all these things and, and was going to teach school so I had insurance and always had a job. And um, But the problem with comfort I'm finding and maybe you found this, is that um, comfort doesn't create, doesn't. there's no adversity in comfort. Comfort just keeps us right here where we want to be, because as humans, that's what we want. We want to be comfortable, but the problem with that is without those inciting incidents, incidences in our life, we can't become who God has designed for us to be, so without those pieces in my story, I wouldn't have the story that I have today and the healing process that I had to go through to get there. So all that to say, um, through uh, a series of events in about two, fast forward to about 2009, 2010, um, I think God had finally had enough of my stubborn, comfortable life. And um, he said, here, this is, I want this, I want this. And they kind of just kind of dumped me in these situations um, where I really didn't have a choice. I basically had to start this process where I had to kind of dig up my past and kind of revisit that and let it go and say goodbye to it. And, and what I found with the whole comfortable thing is that um, I kept, I know for me, I kept hitting up against a wall because, see, he'd given me this gift And I knew I wasn't using it to its full potential, um, but I was too stubborn and way too driven by fear to allow him to do anything with it. So through my, like, I kind of envision my walk with Jesus as a daily, like, you want to come at me? Here we go. It's kind of like a fight all the time. I'm like, I don't want to do this, but he's like, yes, you need to do this, and he does it in love, and I come back with my fists. So my husband could probably attest to that part of my personality, but um, so through that process, that healing process, songwriting became a really big part of that process. Um, And it was something that I didn't even know was there and have just kind of started to just let it be when I'm in angst and trying to figure out everything that's going on up here in my brain. I just have to sit down and write. And so um, I feel like this song kind of just sums all that up so if it's okay um, please excuse my guitar playing skills because they're not very good but other than that here we go do i need to push my pedal see i'm learning
1: This girl's alone and this girl's afraid, she does not see the changes you've made. Hurting for so long, desperate to see, is there a way for her to be free? Can I see that she is me, when will I learn?
0: going to pray. Lord, thank you so much for um, this opportunity that we get to be together, and thank you for what we are about to hear, to know more about you, and to see you more clearly, and to understand who you are in the midst of our journey. Thank you again for this beautiful community, and for just what you're doing in the lives of all these people. In your name, I pray and say thank you. Amen.
2: Here for Kim and Ryan Johnson. <laughs> it's such a blessing to have guests, and it's uh, it's great to be blessed by gifts that people share, um, such as singing, which I don't have. So don't don't hope too hard that I'll be up here for that. But I can speak, because that's what I do. I'm Melissa Hodge. I'm here to give some family business, because you're all my family. So I've got a few things. I'll make it quick. We've got connection cards that you're sitting on. Right here. Right here, everyone. So if you're guests, um, please fill that out so we know who you are and that we know that you've been here. If you have prayer requests, um, please put that there too because they get put into the little bins, those little usher baskets that we have so that we know how to pray for you and get connected. Um, Evan waved them in the back. So if you're not sitting on them, they're in the back. And in the back, we have clipboards because we know you want to sign in. We know you want to wake up early and put up these chairs because we do need help. Um, Getting this all set up doesn't happen by itself, even though sometimes we really, really wish it would. Um, We do need you guys to sign up. So if you have a chance, if you guys are early birds, like I said last week, come and sign up and help us out. And speaking of early birds, whether you like it or not, you're going to have to wake up early September 8th because we're going to start at 9. Because you're all here at 9.30, right? 9 o'clock won't be so hard. It's an act of selflessness on our part. Let's just think of it that way. Because tall ships will be here, and this place will be packed. So if you don't come early, you're going to have to walk like you did today. Because I all know you didn't come early. Because I had to park all the way down there, and I was early. Um, So think of that. Uh, September 8th, 9 o'clock we're starting. So that's going to shake some stuff up for you guys. And then we also have next week feast, which we love to do together. We love to eat. We're going to have it um, after church next week, uh, the feast on the beach. And we're going to have tacos. So add something to that. We're going to have the fixings and all that. So I think we're all done with hamburgers and hot dogs at this point, right? Yeah, so tacos next week. So everybody stand up one more time, greet each other, and we'll get this morning started.
3: I'm gonna go down there. Oh. Well, good morning, my friends. Oh, it is a beautiful day. It was such a a beautiful thing what Kim just shared, that kind of concept we love here at Branches, love God and like love people, love your neighbor. Boogie did a a great message on loving your neighbor and the story of the Good Samaritan a few weeks ago. And I wanted to invite up for a moment the care team that we have with us. Uh, They have such a wonderful job. I kind of envision them as kind of the vanguard here at Branches because if we're honest with ourselves, we're all called to love neighbors, we're all called to love people, Boogie shared, you know, the priest and the Levite, they see that person in need, and they're kind of the people that say, oh, I'll go let the care team go take care of that, and so, it, it's a job that all of us are called to do, but these are the people in the forefront, and so, did you have something you wanted to share today, or? I think he, oh. Let me get you one of these doohickeys. There we go, so. Sorry, Cam, for destroying your mic. Yep, you don't get much room. Sorry. Oh, no, that's Sorry, okay. Sorry, Brent. So, basically, just, um, is it on? Can you hear me? Can you hear <laughs> me? I hear you. Well, basically, it's <laughs> just like we said last week when we were out here that, um, they're not going to hear you now. <laughs> Pray for you guys. Father, we lift up the care ministry. We live in a broken world, Lord, with needs and tears. Father, thank you that you have placed upon these people's hearts a desire to encourage people in your name and in your kingdom. Lord, as that is so emotionally tolling at times, Father, I pray that you fill their cups overflowing, that you strengthen them, Lord, in those difficult situations where they know not what to say, Lord, that you give them your words. Lord, I pray that we are all called to serve you, to love our neighbors. In your name above all names. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, guys. woo We're we're gonna have some fun today. I want to talk today a little bit about choices. I feel my wife and I we've been making a lot of choices in our life. Our daughter turns four this week, and so we had the big choice of you know which preschool to go to and We actually had the conversation, well, if we go to this preschool, then she'll go to this university, and if she goes to this one, then it's going to be that one, and like, she's four, but we have these choices, and sometimes they're small choices, bacon or sausage. I had a a hard choice last week, do I get the fried ice cream for dessert, or do I skip dessert? It was delicious, and uh, I've actually read a few studies, people claim that the average adult makes between 30,000 and 70,000 decisions every single day. This is, am I going to sit in that chair or that chair? Do I use my blinker? Do I change lanes? When we drive, it's decision after decision. And so I want to kind of look at different decisions that we make, maybe not the small ones, of bacon and sausage, but uh, some of the larger ones. Specifically, I want to look at a, a story in the Gospel, Matthew chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, of someone that makes a decision. But I want to start by sharing a choice that I made earlier in my life, a decision. My friend and I, for eight years, promised each other every year that we were going to go skydiving. And so finally, after eight years of just saying it over and over, for his 21st birthday, we decided to go skydiving. And I remember kind of everything that happened that day made me think more and more, this is a bad decision, like this is a bad choice that I'm about to make. I remember we get to this teeny tiny airport, it's outside of Vegas, and we see the people that had just landed, they are all pumped and they are all excited, but then they kind of ushered us into the side room and they said, we need you to sign a contract before you go. I remember it clearly, it was eight pages front and back, 16 pages total, I had to sign and date the bottom of every page, initial every single paragraph that if I died I couldn't sue, if I died my family, I, you know, just all that legalese, but the top of the front page, Remember the box so clearly, it said, last year, 50,000 people enjoyed the sport of skydiving. Last year, 26 people died in the sport of skydiving. And and I've, I'm an adventurous person, might be a good way, and I've done some dangerous things. I had never done in my life, up in that point or since, something where they gave me the probability of survival, if you know what I'm talking about. And I'm I'm a math nerd. I did the math, there was a 1 in thousandths chance someone was going to die that day. We had better odds of making it big in Vegas than, you know, dying, you know, so it was not good, but we, we were pumped, you know, and so then I see that they're filming us signing the contract, and I've signed many things, there have never been filmed signing, so that terrified me a little more, And but, you know, kind of, we're going skydiving, I mean, I'm, I stuck with my choice and my decision. Now, the planes are small, so... It was me and my friend, his mom and his girlfriend. And so how it worked out was the plane wasn't big enough for all of us. We had to split into two groups. So he and his mom go on the first trip. They had a blast. It was wonderful. But they had a, a guy do a solo jump, and he didn't have the best time. You see, when you go skydiving, there's this concept where you have your main chute, and if your main chute doesn't open, you have your reserve chute. And if your reserve chute doesn't open, you don't live. And... What happened was this guy, he packed his own main chute, and it didn't open. And some professional packed his reserve chute, so that opened. He felt, I mean, he's fine and he's safe. And so when that happens, there's this $100 ripcord thing that falls to the ground. And the guy was cheap, and I'm a very cheap person, so I can relate with him. And so he wanted to skydive a second time and land by that piece to recover it so you know he doesn't lose 100 bucks. Brilliant idea. However, because it's not normal when this happens, he, my instructor, and the pilot decide to share skydiving horror stories of all the bad things that have ever happened to them, of the people that have broken legs from not falling, of the tourists that have gotten injured, the guy that died at the airport next door. And I remember thinking this whole time, bad idea, bad idea, bad ideas, I'm terrified. I remember walking down the runway and seeing the plane at the very end, I remember my words in my head of, dear God, please don't let it be that one. Have you ever seen that car on the road and you're like, how is that car still driving? My wife, when I met her, she drove a 1977 Ford Pinto and I remember thinking like, how is that car still legal? This plane, this ceiling was held together with duct tape, which is not reassuring in aviation. The seats have been removed. The seat belts have been removed. I remember thinking, like, do I want to step into this plane? I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Get into the plane. And and you know these planes, they have the pilot seat and kind of the co-pilot seat area? Well, the co-pilot seat has been removed. The co-pilot steering wheel has been removed. And it's been replaced with a tennis ball that said, don't touch. I was the last in the plane, and my back was to that tennis ball, and I was fearful the entire time that if I leaned backwards, I would die and kill the entire plane. And so I'm terrified on this flight. I remember thinking, should I do this? Should I not do this? By the grace of God, plane takes off, so it, you know, we make it, which I was kind of shocked. I thought we were just going to spin around the, the runway a few times. But we get to about 1,000, 2,000 feet, and that guy that's missing the piece, he wants to find it. But if you've been on a plane, you know that the windows kind of go sideways and you can't see the ground below you. This is the part where the story gets a little fun. It's a true story. The pilot thinks that if the plane is like this, we can look straight down. The pilot, he makes this large right banking turn, at which point I slide across the floor, I hit the door, the door flies open, I fly out. My arm flails back, thanks to God be almighty. I'm holding on to what used to be the co-pilot seatbelt. My instructor's wearing the parachute that I'm supposed to get strapped to in a little bit. But we're also at this kind of, you know, it's an elevation where even if I did have a parachute, it's not enough time to open up. And I'm holding on to this plane, waiting for the guy to let me back in. But for him to go kind of grab me, it's dangerous for himself because his parachute can't open in time. And I could kind of see him thinking in his head of like, do I want to help this guy? Like it was a choice. Like he spent a few, like it was moments, but like it was just a few seconds. Like, am I willing to risk my life for this guy that just signed an eight page contract? And so, you know, my life is dependent upon his choice that he was making. So after like five seconds total, I mean, I held my breath the entire time. He reached out, grabbed the handle on my skydiving suit, pulled me back into the plane, problem being that the door is still open, so I'm like kind of glad I'm back in, but then he uses me as a barricade to reach out, grab the door, shut it, locks the door, looks me in the eye and says, he doesn't say I'm sorry, he doesn't say are you alright, he says wow, that's never happened before. (laughs) I almost, as we're talking about choices, I almost made the choice to hit him right there, I was not happy in life. But I remember on the flight, the scariest thing that happened to me, because it wasn't that moment. It it was when we got to jump altitude. And I'm wearing the parachute. I'm I'm attached to the instructor. The instructor looks at the pilot and says a single word. He says, door. And I remember that was the point when fear just entered me because I knew what happened when that door opens. I remember how terrifying it was the time before. And then the door opens, and I'm kind of looking out of the plane, And that's where the big choice I had to make was. Because during the training, they went over it so many times, they can't jump for you. They can't push you out. They can't kind of like kick you and go. They said that you have to be the one to make the decision to take that first step. And I remember having to choose, am I going to do it? And after what kind of seemed like another turn to me, I finally realized I need to do this. And I took that first step. And it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and I loved it. And I want to look at a story in Scripture today where someone had to make a very, very similar choice. He, he wasn't in an airplane because they didn't have airplanes back then, but he was on a boat, and he had to make that choice of I going to take the first step. And I like kind of painting the picture of where we're at. It's Matthew chapter 14, and the chapter opens on a very, very sad note. Jesus has this great friend, a relative, John the Baptist, And John the Baptist gets beheaded. He had done nothing wrong. It was a a prize for a king in many ways. And so Jesus' good buddy is killed. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus gives what would be an amazing, wonderful sermon. And he feeds 5,000 men plus women plus children. And so me as a preacher, I know for who I am, and I've talked to a few other pastors, it's just tiring on a Sunday giving a message. You work all week and then you deliver it and you're exhausted and oftentimes I just want to go home and crash on the sofa. And I don't know how tired Jesus was because I'm not Jesus, but he gives this massive sermon and on top of that he feeds 5,000 people. Now next Sunday is Feast Sunday, which is great and exciting for tacos, but it's a lot of work to feed 200 people in this room. And yet Jesus feeds 5,000 people this massive miracle. And so Jesus, what he wants to do is just get some solo time. He just wants some time with God. And so we're going to pick up in the story. What's going to take place is on this Sea of Galilee, Jesus is going to walk his disciples to the bottom of the lake, and he's going to say, guys, I want you to get in the boat and go to the other side, and I'm going to walk around the lake, and I'm going to meet you there. And So that's what we pick up in Matthew 14, verse 22 says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And we're doing this theme of choices. Jesus makes his choice to kind of be alone and spend time with God. That word pray, when you kind of study it in the Greek, it's not the prayer that we're used to. It's not the prayer that we've done here at church a bunch of times where it's, you know, God, I pray for this service that it goes well. You know, God, bless this food to my body. God, I pray we have a good day, which are all wonderful prayers. But this particular prayer, this is a a solo time prayer. This is an extended time of community with God. This is one of those times where we kind of say, God, this is my life, this is what's going on. And then we sit in silence and we wait to have God have an opportunity It's a time where we read our Bible and our devotion and spend time in that. It's a time where we memorize scripture. And so what Jesus is doing is he's spending a long time with God. But the verse continues and it says, And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. We get a time frame in the next verse. The disciples have been rowing a boat for a minimum of eight hours by this point. It, it, this is a lake. The whole Sea of Galilee it's seven and a half miles long, and so if you get in a rowboat, it's about an hour, two hours to get to the other side. But they have been rowing for eight hours straight. Because the Sea of Galilee, kind of how it works, is it's this beautiful lake, and if you ever go to Israel on one of those mission trips, it's like one of those, you know, things that you have to do is you get on a Powerboat these days, and they take you across the lake, and then you eat a peter fish that still has the eyes and the bones in it, and everyone kind of freaks out and refuses to eat it. And, and so it's this beautiful lake, but what happens is there can get a storm front on top of the mountains because it's in the bottom of a valley, and it will just come swooping down. And you can have a gorgeous day like we have in the harbor right now, but then in moments the skies can turn black, thunder and lightning, torrential downpour. And waves so large that they can capsize a boat of 12 fishermen. And that's the scene we picked the disciples up in. They have been rowing and rowing. And their perspective in life has changed. I, I can guarantee you they no longer care about where they're going. And they're never even going to reach where they're supposed to go. This is the any port in a storm. This is they just want to get to safety And I know in our lives many times we face these storms and sometimes we have these lofty goals of, you know, what I want to do in my career in five years or when do we want to have children? But sometimes we have these storms happen and we get distracted and our goal becomes I just want to get through the day. And and just like the Sea of Galilee, we never ever know when it's going to happen. I remember when I was uh, eight years old, I had a dog. And if you're an eight-year-old boy and you have a dog, what's your one responsibility in life? Poop. It's a poop story, my friends. And and so I have an awful, awful gag reflex. And so I invented this way to pick up after my dog, where I would flip around a fly swatter, and I would flick it against the wall because we had this six-foot concrete wall. And I thought I was a genius when I was eight because I wouldn't have to touch it. I was getting the job done and I was fertilizing the trees under the wall, and so it was a win-win-win for me, and I was so pumped and so excited, and so every Saturday morning, I kind of had some fun doing it, because it's, you know, I'm an eight-year-old boy. On this particular Saturday morning, our neighbors were having a birthday party. Their son's name was coincidentally also Evan, and I was a little too strong on one of my flicks, and it sailed over the fence as they were singing happy birthday, as Evan was about to blow the candles out, and it landed in the cake. It was one of those things where like, if you try to recreate it a thousand times, it will never ever be the same. I thought his dad was going to kill me. I was fearful for, I ran inside, cried for a half hour. But I kind of think like, when you're like a five-year-old boy, your birthday is the greatest day of your life. Like our daughter, she's gonna turn four next week. And I know her four-year-old birthday will be the happiest day of her life until Christmas. And then Christmas is the happiest day. And then her fifth year, And so I would imagine this other Evan, it was the best day of his life. And what moment is he at right there? Blowing out the candles where you make a wish and anything is possible. And so I, as I look back, I kind of think that this is the greatest moment in his life that has ever happened. And then that storm came out of nowhere. And so I... I just focus on that because, you, you know that phrase, you never know when life's going to throw poop at you, and it's just, it's true. And that's where these, oh, did I say that? And so that's, going back to the holy, that's where the disciples are. They were having this great day. They just watched Jesus perform this miracle with 5,000 men fed, plus women, plus children, all from two fish and five pieces of bread. There was food left over. I mean, that's a day that you celebrate. Look how great it was. And then they get to nighttime, and they just want to survive. They just want to get by. It says, verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Let's keep going. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. There's this uh, tradition when you read kind of the commentaries and the history books that a lot of people in this day and age, they, they weren't big fans of swimming in many ways. They had the boats, but they like to stay near land. The Sea of Galilee is only seven miles. which is not terrible. But there was this concept that if you see a ghost on the water, it was Davy Jones from the underworld come to claim your soul and to kill you. Like that was the, the sailor myth. And we can kind of see that the disciples may have ascribed to that because the moment they see what they think is a ghost, they cry out in fear. They are terrified. They are afraid for their lives. But what I love is immediately when they see this happen, immediately Jesus speaks words of comfort in the same way that whatever storm we are in, we have that choice to rely on Christ. We have that ability to call out on his name and immediately He's is there. And the words that Jesus used, it is so critical. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It, it meshes so much with who we are as a church. That phrase, it is I, it's this Greek phrase. It's Technically, it's ego-aiming. And it's actually the same words that we see in John 15, 5, where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's also the I am, the way, the truth, and the light. And the reason that phrase, I am, is so so critical for the vine and for the way and for right here he says do not be afraid is jesus is actually quoting an old testament scripture there in exodus chapter 3 we have moses and moses is shepherd and moses had made some poor choices in his life and did some things he regretted and yet god still wants to use him because god will use anyone that is willing and so moses sees this bush and the bush is on fire but the bush is not being consumed And we see that God is representing this bush, and the bush starts talking to Moses, and God calls Moses to let his people go out of Egypt. He goes, Moses, I want you to be the leader. I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Exodus 3 is this beautiful chapter where they kind of argue back and forth. No, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I'm not the guy. I can't speak. Someone else. Finally, at one point, Moses goes, all right, God, let's pretend. Let's pretend for a moment I go to your Jewish people and I say, this is what happened. Who am I going to say sent me? What is your name? Because if I tell them I spoke to a bush, they're going to think I'm crazy. And God says, you tell them, I am the I am. You tell them, I am has sent you to me. And so Jesus is quoting that scripture. And quite possibly, it's the first time we see him in this story telling the disciples, I am God. We've seen earlier at the baptism, in different points, the concept of the Trinity, and we can see the different things. But this might be the first time Jesus is telling the disciples, I am God. In the beginning, I was there. Not only was I at creation, I was the agent of creation. All things were created by me. I mean, think of the comfort of that concept. Because why are you guys scared? Why are you afraid? I created the lake. I created the trees. I created the clouds. Don't you think I have control over my creation? I mean, this isn't the first time there was a storm that Jesus just stopped because he said stop. Because don't you guys understand who I am? And, and then I think for a moment, I like to stereotype people sometimes. Sorry. What were the disciples thinking on that boat? in that moment, as they see their leader and their teacher walking on water, right? I think of Matthew, and I view him as the business guy, and me being a business guy, like, I like, you know, I relate pretty well with Matthew, and I would kind of be thinking that concept, like, how do I make money off of this? Like, how do I sell tickets, because this is a great way to fundraise for camp and, you know, a snowboard trip and all that sort of thing, and, you know, I think of Thomas, Thomas has like the two sides of that doubting Thomas that we're familiar with where it's like, Jesus, that can't be you. You need to prove to me that that's you. Or there's also the other Thomas that said, you know, let's go over here. And they're like, no, no, no we're going to die if we go over there. And Thomas says, well, let's get swords and just charge the gates of hell. And is he ready to jump out? Or, you know, there's John, the disciple that Jesus loves. We're going gonna, gonna to ruin the story for you. Peter's going to start walking on water. Does John kind of think, I wish that was me, you know? I love Jesus, why, why couldn't have I been that person? You know, we, we talked about the care ministry this morning, and we see that person in need, and we kind of think like, oh, I'll let the care ministry take care of it. Or you see them doing it and helping, like, maybe that should have been me. I think that is John, or there's Judas. You know, I don't know where Judas's heart was at this point, but was it kind of black? Was it kind of like, Jesus, why are you wasting time doing this? You know, don't we have better things to do than this? You know, why, you know? But then there's Peter, And he's the one reaction that we get to see. Peter sees his boss, his leader, his teacher walking on water, and he wants to be with him. This concept of the rabbi and the disciples, whatever your rabbi does, that's what you're supposed to do. It's a complete lead by example. If your rabbi eats one fish for an entire day, that's what you do. If he walks 20 miles, that's what you do. If he walks on water, that's what you do. And so Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, I want to be with you. And what does Jesus say? Come. And, and I love it. It's that same thing he says to every single one of us. Where whatever situation we're facing in life, if we say, God, I want you to be a part of this, what does he say? Come. He, he's done all of the work on the cross, all of the work through creation, that we don't have to do works. We just need faith. And if we want to be with him, we just come. Come. And so Peter made that huge decision, bigger than me stepping out of the plane, but what Peter does is he takes his foot, I picture it the right foot for some reason, but he swings that right foot over the boat, and for the first time in history, he places weight upon water, and the water supports his weight. And he takes that second foot, and he swings it over the boat, and he stands up, and he starts to walk on water. Other than Jesus... No one had ever done that in their entire life. And he starts walking, and sometimes we like to freeze the scene. But when Peter's walking, the storm's still going on. You know, there's still lightning and thunder and rain, and the waves are still going. The other 11 disciples at this moment, they're watching, but they're still rowing in the storm. But as Peter walks towards Jesus, it it makes it very clear in Scripture As long as his eyes were focused on Christ, he didn't fall. But the moment he saw the wind, that's when he began to sink. The moment he took his eyes off of God is when he was in desperation. And the moment they sank, once again we see that same word, immediately Jesus reached out and grabbed his hand. And then we have that classic phrase, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And some people say it kind of in a condescending way. Oh, Peter, where's your faith? You know, you're such a loser. And why don't you? But I see it with so much compassion and love because Jesus just revealed this God. And he's like, Peter, do you not understand who I am? Do you not get that I am God, that I am here? And when you have that faith, you're going to understand and so my challenge this week is you kind of go forth and think about this story, and hopefully don't think about the airplane, but you think about this concept of choices that if we want to be with God, he simply says, come. Because God doesn't tell Peter, you know, oh, dude, you know, you're not wearing a bathing suit, you don't know how to swim, you just ate a bunch of fish and bread, no, no. He goes, come. And, and as we see that person in need, we can't say, oh, I haven't gone to the care ministry class, I'm like, no, no it's what we were called to do to love God and love people but the thing I just want you to kind of think in that forefront of your mind it's such a cheesy phrase and I love it though what would Jesus do is a great phrase for the decisions we make in life but the question I want you to think of is what would you do knowing that a sovereign God is in control because think about Peter on that boat if Jesus wasn't there would he try to walk on water nope because he'd been on a boat a thousand times, and I would guess he had never had that thought before. But when he realized that a sovereign God was on that water and that anything was possible in that moment, he was willing to take that risk. And so, in our lives and our jobs and our families, and in every decision that we make every single day, just this week, ask yourself that question one, you know, what would Jesus do? But two, what would I do knowing? that a God who created the heavens and the earth, a God who is in pursuit of me, what would I do knowing that he is in control of this situation? Let's pray. Father, we come before you on this beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you for all of the blessings you have bestowed in our lives. Thank you that there is an open door to go to you whenever we are in need or in trial, Lord. As this life, as the devil and the evil one throws storms at us left and right, thank you that in the midst of storms we can walk on water, that we can focus upon you. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room that have decisions in front of us. Lord, that we ask ourselves that question and we go boldly. Proclaimed in your name. What would I do with a sovereign God? of my life in this planet, in this world and universe. God, for those of us in this room in need, Lord, those that are hurting, Lord, God, I pray that you film today. I pray that we are a people that reach out to one another with words and actions and deeds in your name above all other names. Amen. Amen. Will
0: you just stand with me? Let's sing that chorus that we sang earlier. Christ alone, he's the cornerstone. Christ alone.
3: say amen to that song? It's a pretty killer song. I think we're going to start leading that, so thanks. Hey, thanks to Ryan and Kim. Can you guys give them a hand? So we're going to close today. I'm going to pray up for us. Father God, we we come here today, Lord. We are so blessed by you. Lord, even though we all have storms, we all have big ones and little ones and some some bigger than others and some that are crushing us and some that are just kind of out there in the distance Lord but all of us can come to you we can come to you
1: boldly because of your son Jesus and we thank you for that we thank you that you you provided Jesus as the atonement for our sins something that we can come before you and have access to you so father thank you for that Uh, I pray this in your name Amen. amen so here